Welcome to I Want to Put a Baby in You, a podcast exploring reproductive technology and life-changing stories. Here are your hosts, Jennifer White and Ellen Trackman. Welcome back. I'm Ellen Trackman here with Jennifer White for part Hi. two of our interview with Michelle Manucci. So a recap for those of those of you who are just joining us. Um, so we first interviewed Michelle because she was an author and wrote this book, The Sorrow Fairy. But we learned quickly that she has a very intense personal story. And so the first half was talking about the story where she, um, in her childhood, her dad needed an organ transplant to save his life. And that really inspired her to want to be an organ donor herself. But when her husband objected, the closest thing was she decided to be a surrogate. She was matched with a single intended mother and went through multiple transfers until she finally did become pregnant. And it was with twins. Unfortunately, after the birth of the children, there were some serious complications for Michelle herself, where she was in the hospital with so many medical issues um, that at some point it got so bad that she turned to her husband and told her that it was time that she was she was ready to go. Um, so the craziest part is that isn't the biggest that shocker. Isn't the whole story. Of the story. In fact, the, yeah. the story takes another huge twist. So stay tuned to hear that part. The pain was more than I could withstand at that point. And I started going through a checklist. What would it look like? What would it feel like? Would I be okay dying? What if it all just stopped right now? And this is why I say I was able to be conscious enough because I thought about my kids, each one of them. Like I almost went through a checklist and an assessment. And I said, you know, this would be awful, but I know that my husband would be able to to move forward. Like he'd be able to do it. He'd make sure the kids are taken care of. He'd be taken care of, you know. Um, it's gonna, I'm like, it's gonna end right here. Like the moment I can wake up and say something, if I do, um, that's what I'm going to say. But if this is what's happening to me in the state that I'm in, I'm ready to go. And shortly thereafter, I, I came back to consciousness, I suppose, because I turn over to my right and my husband's pretty much laying like his head is over his crossed arms right next to my head as if he'd been staying there for however long while I was sleeping, I suppose. And I start getting teary eyed and I look at him and I go, babe, I'm done. Like I'm ready to go. And if you, if you knew my husband or physically saw him, I mean, he's military law enforcement, usually very like stoic, um, doesn't show a whole lot of emotion type of guy. And he just turns to me, he goes, babe, what are you saying? And I'm like, no, I'm, I'm ready. Like, stop everything. He goes, you can't, you can't do this. He goes, I need you way too much. The kids need you. And he starts talking me through things and I'm like, it'll be fine. And he goes, you can't do this to me. You're a fighter. Like, you know, he's always told me I'm, I'm usually the one that's uplifting everyone. I'm, I'm the coach, right? I'm the one telling people to do like, what am I saying? Um, 
but the look on his face said more than the words that he was saying. And I, I took a breath and I'm like, man, can I do this to him? And I love my kids, but his reaction, he was all I had in that moment. And, and that was enough for me. And that was all I needed in that moment to go, shit, let's, let's yeah. figure this out. Yeah. <laughs> Even though I was not wanting to do this and somehow cosmically someone must have heard that that's what I thought because I didn't actually verbalize it but shortly thereafter a doctor comes in and she goes look we need to put you through like a couple of other things and uh, we're going to change this around but actually this is more than postpartum can handle and so at that point a series of of medical procedures began I um, had to get a uh, like a midline IV, which is awful if anyone has ever gotten it. But they basically my daughter's had this, one; they're horrible. Yeah, yeah. This whole like machinery—it's like a sonogram thing to try to catch your vein and go through it. And my husband had actually—he this started because of him. He asked them, "Is there something else that you could do?" Because I was getting poked like every five minutes. There, there was nothing. I'm small. There was nothing left in me, and the little bit of blood that was left in me, the one that they had just put in me, it was all coming out. Wow. <laughs> so nice. they decided to do that, but then they decided that I needed to, they, they had taken a scan, and basically I had a condition called ileus, which is a blockage in the intestines. So wow. I had trapped gas, yeah. I had trapped everything, which was what was causing me to physically look pregnant which was causing the excruciating pain because all that does is basically go up your back and your arms right. and all this jazz. And so they said, well, we got to put an NG tube down your nose through Ooh. your throat. And it basically works like a vacuum. And it's going to remain with you for days until you're better, however long that takes. But that is a procedure that has to happen um, and we would have to take you to the surgical acute unit of the hospital. So I was like, whatever's got to happen, I don't even understand until it began. The downside is to have the NG tube placed, you have to be awake. Because I was like, can you guys put me out? They're like, nope. Oh, no. And oh, all no. he said was breathe. That went through my nose. But as it's going down my throat, it hurts. I mean, it, it frankly does. And I decide to start throwing up. <laughs> so yeah. they're trying to shove. You, you decided to. You're like, this is a good time to throw up. I'm going to make my death another way. Oh, yeah. Go ahead. Right? <laughs> so what was awful was that they had to keep going up and down because every time they try to go down, I'm like hurling. And my husband's with the bag to my left. And I, it just the scenario throw was up. Yeah. awful. Uh, they finally got it in, and at that point, they wheel me over to the next unit um, where I spend the rest of my stay. I spent 11 days in the hospital. Um, at that point in the other unit, it was pretty isolated. I was laying in bed for days on end. I had no bodily functions uh, that I could feel, and I say this because a few days later, I pooped myself six times in one day without knowing. Oh, oh wow. I couldn't even feel it. I mean, wow. that's all. embarrassing. Yeah. That, <laughs> needless to say, because it was a great day because 
the doctors and the nurses were like, yay, we're getting you where you need to be. I'm mortified because I'm like, did I just really, <laughs> did I just really like, I don't want to see anyone. I couldn't even give them my face, but more so because I was concerned that I wasn't feeling anything. And I'm like, what does this mean? I can't, right. can't continue this way. not yeah. knowing right. that I have to have <laughs> this is not okay. Um, I was so debilitated that they had the commode right next to the bed. And so what would happen is that Joe stayed with me most of the time. He ended up taking two weeks off of work. But because we had the kids situation, um, sometimes he would go home and just kind of be with the kids so that they wouldn't feel so lonely. And my mom would stay with me. So both my mom and Joe were troopers because they slept on this hospital couch for days on end, right? Um, And my mom would get up in the middle of the night to, you know, fix my hair. I couldn't, the best day was washing my hair after like four or five days. I couldn't even believe it. But when I did have a feeling that I had to use the restroom, um, it was, she would help me get up. I couldn't move. I, I really had zero strength. I would have to have a nurse and my mother come and physically lift me and sit me on a commode and put me back to bed. At that point, I started feeling handicapped. I mean, that's the best way that I could put it. Um, they they gave me physical therapy in, in, in the hospital. And so, you know, wheelchair, walker, all these things. And I'm like, what is going on? I felt bad for my mom because love her to pieces. She is so used to taking care of everyone who's sick, but she kept it together um, because the first day that she walked in, you know, the tears started flowing. What mother wants to see their daughter, you know, in these conditions. Um, but also I felt like I needed to be in a vacuum. I wouldn't even turn the TV on. I didn't turn the TV on until like maybe three or four days before I left the hospital because I felt bad for her, but I felt like I needed to be in a vacuum with my thoughts, with myself. I needed to mentally be strong enough to, um, heal whatever that looked like and however long that took, because I didn't allow my kids to come until, after they had taken the NG tube out of me. I didn't want them to see that. Um, My IM did want to come visit, but I also felt bad and embarrassed that she would see me that way. Um, And I also had moments of frustration, not towards her or towards anyone, um, but just frustrated that this was happening, right? And so in moments like that, I feel the more solitude I have, um, the better it pumps me up mentally and the faster I would get out of here. The swelling of my legs had not gone down and no one could really give me an answer why. I was very uncomfortable with it. I was like, I don't really want to leave here while my legs still look like I was nine months pregnant, essentially. Right. Um, the doctors, we were, we were just coming up to a Labor Day weekend. So they wanted to kick everybody out of the hospital, right? Everyone was so excited. So many people were getting discharged and... You know, one of the nurses had told my mom, like, rumor has it, Michelle might be on the list. And my mom's like, are they going to release you? I'm like, what? Who said that? You know, at this point, I'm already friends with everyone on the floor. Right. Um, You're like, you are my besties now, all of you. (laughs) I already knew everyone's life stories. And I said, I don't I don't really know if I should be leaving. Like, I can't wait to leave. Trust me. But like, how's my labs? What's going on with my legs? Sure enough, they run some more stuff and they go, yeah, your counts are still dropping. 
we need to do another blood transfusion. Oh, Oh, man, just when I was going to leave for the holiday weekend. Right. So there I go. I need another blood transfusion. What happens? It took 33 hours, if I recall correctly, for me to get the blood. The reason for that is the first time that I had the blood transfusion, they immediately gave me O blood, right? So universal blood, we're good. I'm B positive. But now the lab was concerned because they actually had to physically speak to me. They were concerned about me having blood transfusions so closely together. So they needed to confirm all this with everybody and their mother. Um, But more so, the explanation that they gave me was that they needed to find not only B positive blood, but the blood that had created the antibodies that my body had produced because I had already received that first blood transfusion. Mm. Oh, wow. So yeah. talk about rare. <laughs> right. You're like a, a beetle in the haystack of the, of the haystacks. You know? yeah. Yeah. So they're like, so the hospital doesn't have it. And I'm yeah. like, so what are we doing? <laughs> They put it out to the American Red Cross and I'm like, all right, well, let's get this show on the road. Are we going to do this tonight? Well, tonight came and went. The next Uh day, I'm like, what's happening? It wasn't until the next evening that we we finally um, got that going. But can I tell you, I mean, if if I were to sell a weight loss program, this would probably be it. Not worth it. (laughs) I'm going to pass. No, not worth it at all. I'm not, I'm not paying for that program. Sorry. (laughs) The moment that the blood transfusion started taking place, I would physically see my legs get thinner. Oh, wow. And by the time it was said and done, I I would stare at my feet and I looked at my mom and I said, I have little chicken legs now. (laughs) I look thinner than what I was before I was pregnant, you know? Um, so I was really happy though about that. The downside is that they always warn you, you never know what side effects you're going to get. Well, sure enough for the following three weeks, even after I was home, I had the worst rash from head to toe. I would just itch and scratch all day long. It was awful. It was awful. I would never want to wish that on anyone, but you know, you take what you get, right? I was happy to, to be done and, and be home. So I, I went home a little bit anemic. Um, you know, they ordered a lot of a lot of red meat, a lot of steak. My husband was loving it. You know, he's a, he's a <laughs> he was like, "All right, Morton, here we go." Just kidding. Um, I I was told to pretty much stay on one floor of the house. So that's pretty much what I did. I would sleep a lot. I came home, and the kids were excited to see me. But I also started getting very emotional. Um, the kids wanted to be all over me. And my daughter would tell me what happened in school and all this and help me do some homework. And I'll never forget, it was probably the third day home. It was maybe 7, 7.30. She's like, oh, we got to do homework, you know, all these things. And I just step away and I go upstairs and I lose it and I start crying. My husband comes up, he's like, what's going on? And I'm like, I don't know, yeah. but I'm extremely overwhelmed. He's like, oh, the kids are just excited. It's just your mom. You know, it's just me. Like, what do you need? Everyone was doing everything in their power to make me so comfortable. And I'm like, I don't know what it is. I was like, do you think I'm getting depressed? Like, I've never had that, right? I never experienced postpartum depression. 
I joke and say that I get postpartum <laughs> aggression because I get like just really snippy. <laughs> but, um, you know, and my agency was checking in on me. They go, you know, it's very, it's very common. Like this is a time to get, you know, like the baby blues or if you get PPD and especially with what you just went through. And um, it, it took me a couple of days, but fortunately, you know, things got better. Uh, I was able to sleep a lot. That's, that's all I did. I would just wake up to have lunch and, and dinner and thank God for my mom. Um, but every day I, I drummed up the strength to kind of like be a part of my family some more, given that they had already given me so much this last year. And and particularly for the kids, I didn't want them to, to feel like I was home, but not present. Shortly thereafter, um, you know, my IM and I continue to text here and there. How are you doing? How are you feeling? I'm still feeling kind of crappy, of course, healing from every which place. Um, phenomenal, I have to say. Um, baby boy was a trooper. He was smaller, um, five, five and change, but didn't need That's any NICU time. Baby girl... Um, was over six pounds and she did need NICU for just a couple of days, um, mostly because Mm -hmm. she was having trouble suctioning Mm -hmm. like her little baby bottle. Right. So she and I actually spent the same amount of time in the hospital. Um, I left the night and she was discharged the next morning. So, you know, it was, it was a a big coincidence. I did go by the NICU to see her the night uh, before I left. And so it, it was awesome. Um, as I'm home, you know, I'm, I'm bleeding. It's expected, but the weeks kept going by and things weren't get better. I'm kind of going to jump around here for a quick second, just to sum this piece up. Um, I bled for 14 weeks straight. Oh my goodness. That is far beyond normal. Yeah. Um, it can happen, but it's, it's rare. And it wasn't like it was getting any better. It was hemorrhaging type blood every day until it just stopped. And in between, in that time span, I had already scheduled a trip for November for my entire family to go to South America. It was going to be the, it was a meaningful trip. It would be the first time I would go to Colombia after my father's passing. And it would be the first time that I would take my children. So I couldn't wait to go on this trip. And the one thing stopping me was, I'm still bleeding. (laughs) Am I going to be all right? Well, the night before, I was talking to my husband's family over the phone, six o'clock, fine, we hang up. I go to the restroom and I'm like, oh, I feel like there's some clotting. So I'm like wiping again, TMI. Uh, It's not going anywhere. I start tugging. I'm like, oh, I feel a pinch. Oh, oh, I tug oh. some more. Uh, I really feel like this is coming oh. from my inside. What am I pulling? Oh, God. Oh. I yell for my husband because I'm upstairs by myself. And I'm like, Joe, you got to come. And he walks in. He's like, what is this smell? Oh, my God. <laughs> and he's hurling. And there is a stench. And I said, babe, this is the smell I've been telling you that I feel like I smell since I left the hospital and something's not right. Every follow-up appointment, I had said, I have cramps that are killing me, just like I was at the hospital. And I have this smell 
and every sano, everything said that I was fine. And I'm like, I am not fine. But sure enough, I'm sitting here on my toilet and I'm now smelling so bad that my husband is hurling. And he's like, what are you doing? And I'm like, I don't know, but I need to tug this thing. And he's like, well, what is it? So he's like, I got to call the doctor. And thank goodness, again, my doctor, he's one that's, you know, on the phone or texting at any point in time. He's like, let me call him. So I said, but wait, I got to call my mom. He's like, what's your mom going to do? I'm like, I don't know, but she's got to come. And so I call her up and she's like, you know, and bless my mom. And I have her character here just like this in the book that I'm that I'm writing. You know, she's a typical Latin woman. And, and if you think of soap opera, she makes all the sounds yeah. and the things and the drama. Like right out of a soap opera, right? She's like right out of a novella. And she's like, what is that? What's going on? Oh, my goodness. Oh, what are you doing? Are you pulling your pancreas? What are you? you know? <laughs> and. I see them both frazzled. And while I'm concerned, I'm like, clearly I'm the only one who's going to keep it together. (laughs) So we get the doctor on the phone and and we're also sending him some pictures. And he's like, I don't know. What is it? You know, we're describing this. And he's like, keep pulling. And I'm like, when? Until when? Like, what do do you mean keep pulling? When do I stop? He's like, you got to pull it. I'm not a doctor, but I go the other way. Don't pull. Just go to the hospital. That's my boat. Yeah, exactly. So he quickly comes to the assessment that it's called a residual cast. And this is also rare, but it can happen. I did take a moment to Google it afterwards, and there's not a whole lot you can find it. But essentially, the the non-medical description, right, coming from my mouth, what I've been told is every every month when you menstruate, basically, this is why you have clots and clumps, right? Because your body is shedding the lining outside of your uterus. But my body chose to keep it all together. And also the all the foam, quote unquote, that they pumped into me could have yeah. been a factor in kind of keeping it all together. So now it's deciding oh to shed all in one piece. So when everything was said and done and I pulled out this piece of ribeye, I'm not kidding. It was the length of my forearm to which I have measured. It's about a good 12 inches long and a good three inches wide. So we're all perplexed. I immediately ask, yeah. uh, do I need to go to the ER first? He says, no, you should be fine unless you have severe bleeding, which you need to keep me updated every couple of hours. See how tonight goes. And I said, well, I board a plane tomorrow morning and I got a 12 hour trip to South America. Should I get on this plane? Oh, he's like, I think you should be fine. And I also felt comfortable with it because one, I mean, I really didn't want to ruin my whole family's trip, but two, I was familiar with Columbia already. So I felt that, you know, should anything go wrong, I would feel comfortable handling business at a hospital there. Right. So I said, well, let's just hope everything goes well. Can I tell you that moment stopped the bleeding and the cramping? (laughs) And I stopped smelling. However, I do arrive to Columbia and I start bleeding again. But, um, you know, at that point, things started dissipating and getting better. So I do want to go ahead and backtrack a second because that was November. And, And by the way, we had a great vacation, came back home. Even though, you know, I'm still feeling like I'm, I'm walking, I'm walking slow. Um, I'm still not driving or doing anything because I 
actually was undergoing physical therapy back in California. But prior to that, it was October, six weeks right after delivery, that my intended mother and I were scheduled to have a call because throughout the pregnancy, I had shared with her that I wanted to write a book about the journey. And this was early in my first trimester. She had agreed and said yes. Because this was outside of my contract, or I should better say that it wasn't clearly defined in my contract, I needed an amendment and we needed to involve legal again, all of which I was completely taking care of. When the time came for her to sign it, she backtracked and now was uncomfortable moving forward with me writing the book. After a couple of conversations, the agreement was that 30 days after delivery, we would reconvene and get her final take on me writing this book. And so... And at which point you're like, I have so much more information to put in this book. (laughs) (laughs) And and at the beginning, it was just like, this is interesting. I kind of, I kind of love journaling, you know, things and and there's not a whole lot out there in terms of physical books for, for surrogacy, right? It's all everything online and not always everything is correct, but it's, it's interesting, right? Um, And at the same time, I felt like my journey was pretty simple. Like my pregnancy was pretty normal, you know? So I'm like, look, I'm just going to write this, but there's not even like a whole lot to say that's like fascinating. Um, But anyway, when we connected, we got on that call and I said, you know, how are the babies? Because I had been getting pictures and and all the updates and how are they doing? And so I said, you know, are they sleeping through the night? At that point, she said, I have to tell you something. I decided to give the baby boy up. That's a huge surprise. Oh. Right. How did you feel? Yeah. How the did, feeling how is how almost coming feel? back. Yeah, You're like, I almost back. died. It, it was, it was quite a bomb. Yeah. Yeah. And that wasn't even my first thought, but yeah. Yeah. And in, in the moment I was like shocked and, and normally I am not shell shocked. Um, the other thing was, what do you mean? Like she, she had sent me a text yeah. with her and the babies. So I don't like a lot of the things just started flashing in my yeah. mind. I'm like, I don't understand. Um, and she said, you know, we were waiting for six weeks for you to get better, if you will, um, because of potential postpartum depression, right? Okay, so this was timed. Um, wow. She said, I knew that you wouldn't be happy about it because back in February on the day of heartbeat confirmation, when all was said and done, we left the hospital, the clinic, and we were at the parking lot. And I said, now that it's just you and I, because her parents were there with us before. I said, now that, how are you feeling? And she joked and she said, you know, I always joke with my parents that this would happen to me. But I tell them, you know, if I had two, I would have to give one up. And I was like, that's a heavy joke. I didn't say anything in the moment, but I guess my, my expressions said it all. And I did share with my agency that she had said that. And right. I, I just assumed I said, someone I was joking, joking right? about this, right? 
Right? No. Well, that came back full circle that October day when she said, based on that day, I knew that you wouldn't be happy. And the agency knew that you wouldn't be happy. I said, wait, wait, wait. They know? Uh, they knew? Wait, they so knew. they knew Was everybody from in on early this? in the pregnancy that she would be giving one up? Not just after the birth. Oh, wow. Yes. So all yeah. the conversations Talk you were about-, about her terminating and like selective reduction, that's why they were so able to confirm that she wasn't going to reduce, right? Because they already knew what the plan was. Maybe, maybe not. Till this day... I don't know the 100% truth, but I spent a month talking to everybody, everybody that I connected with at the agency, from my coordinators to the director of psychology, to my doctors, to the owner of the agency. And here's what I'm told, that Maya spent the pregnancy unsure if she would actually do this or not. And that frankly, this didn't come up until the latter part of my pregnancy. And so I will give everyone the benefit of the doubt that I could see her not saying anything until later on. Um, Towards my last trimester, she was more vocal about it, but no one really thought that she would go through with this because also she kept saying, I'm not really sure if I will go through with this. And everyone thought that perhaps after the birth and she would see both babies, she would be like, they're my babies, right? Um, but that wasn't the case. And the, the added element to this is that while I carried it twins, they're not biological twins because they're two eggs and two sperm donors. Oh, wow. So they don't share the same DNA. Um, the boy is biologically hers because it's her egg. So she gave up her biological child. Wait, sorry, Correct. was the girl genetically related to her? Correct. Oh, wow. No. No. That's that's unexpected. That's intense, yeah. Wow. It was a lot of information to take. <laughs> and and I was like, wait, you, you gave up the boy. But remember, she has an older son, so... You split up brothers also. Um, And then, of course, the question is, why him and not her, even though that's not the right answer either, right? But most people would stay with their biological blood. Um, And so that was one of my questions. And she said, no, it's not because, you know, of, of the girl. And, and we kind of got into the, some of the reasons why. Um, and one of her biggest reasons was she felt um, that because she doesn't have another connection to the baby girl versus the baby boy, she would still be able to keep mm. him in her life. Um, she opted for an open adoption so that she could still continue to see him and they would raise him, teaching him that she is his mother. And so this way, you know, she would remain with the little girl while keeping an open relationship still with her son. 
That's really uh, interesting because it's true. I mean, if the girl was adopted to later find out she was donor egg, donor sperm, carried by a surrogate, adopted out, that's, I mean, either way, but that's a, that's a lot. It's intense. There's a lot of intricacies here. So I said, okay, well, you know, she, she did open up and tell me a little bit of the arrangement. And so, um, which I, which I'll share in a moment after I share this question with you, I said, um, did you ever consider asking me? And she said briefly, but something that she had said earlier had already answered that question. But um, nonetheless, I asked and she had shared with me that he is with two dads. And so she felt comfortable um, knowing that she feels that it's important for a boy to have a father or fathers in this case. Um, and essentially that she wouldn't want to compete with another woman and she would want wow. to remain. so many dynamics. That's really fascinating. And so I was to say, yeah, so much, yeah. Psychological yes. onion to peel back on that one. Wow. And so she didn't say more about why she didn't ask me, but I quickly pieced things together for myself, I should say. And I just don't think that I would have fit into the plan that she had. Right. Um, where I would have, and mom also she did know that eventually we would move my family would relocate at the time i didn't know that i would be relocating but it was in our future um and so th the dynamics wouldn't allow for her to be present as much or part of it as much right um with the distance factor and the fact that you know who's mom and, and so forth and so um i was bummed that she kind of had made that decision, but not because ultimately, you know, it's her babies. The decision is, is hers. But I thought, you know, we were deeper than the superficial stuff. Right. I don't, you know, just so many things crossed my mind at that point. Um, and, and I was still shell shocked. I almost couldn't like say much that day. Uh, I, I did cry. Uh, while on the phone with her and, and she understood why she also shared with me, you know, how hard it was for her to make this decision. Um, one of the other pieces was that she called me um, a day or two after um, the 30 day grace period. So once you relinquish the baby, and this is all what she has told me and educated me on once she relinquished the baby, she would have 30 days um, to change her mind essentially. So when she, by the time she and I had that call, those 30 days had already passed oh, wow. as well. But then she purposely so waited. not that, you know, I was going to be a game changer in any way because her mind was already made up. But um, I, I don't know if, if these are all true facts, but these are the feelings I had at the moment. And some I've um, gotten better about or, or changed perspectives or I can see different things because we have continued our relationship. We're, we're still friends. Um, but it was a lot to take in, you know, at first. And um, I was mad. I was sad. I was sad for his fate. I was sad about everything um, that had gone on with me physically. I was still healing I, uh, physically, emotionally. Um, I felt like I, I didn't, I spent months, you know, people ask as a surrogate, how can you give a baby up or like you get attached to, you know, all these questions. And I go, no, it's like, it's like when you're making, you're like excited a to give it away. Someone, yeah. right? Like a homemade gift for someone. Right. Right. And, and I was like <laughs> crafting all these months and then like 
Yeah. You just regifted yeah. my gift. I don't understand. Um, and so <laughs> I was like, I have to break this down to my mom who's upstairs and my husband who's upstairs. Right. Uh, she said, I, I know this is a lot to take in. I don't know if you're going to want to continue, you know, our relationship because she had an idea that she would still want me to be involved in her daughter's life in some capacity. Right. Like still, like we would remain friends for forever. Um, and she said, you know, I was fearing before losing you if you ever found out and I kept it. But I know that I also fear right now losing you, even though I'm telling you the truth. And so I know that you need time to think about how you want to move forward with this relationship. And I said, yes, I do need time. I need a lot to process. Um, and so I did. I took a month in that time from talking to her. In that time, I also, you know, connected with everyone in the agency and, and I needed answers. I needed to know all sides of the story, right? Um, I felt betrayed. I felt hurt. And a part of me also felt, well, maybe professionally they have this due diligence that essentially, you know, maybe they didn't have an obligation to tell me, right? And it goes back to the point of, yeah. this is such a hard business, right. quote unquote, because you're right. not dealing with widgets. These are people, these are emotions. And so technically, did they have an obligation to tell me? No, but I also had a deep enough relationship with them. I mean, I got to know them on a very personal level, pretty much know everybody's kids, right. their home life stories, you know, right. their Facebook page. I mean, you know, we were official. Right. <laughs> and then yeah. everyone knows this, but that feels outside like of that, that Tuesday, that Tuesday, when I was going through the ringer, that was the, and that day I didn't hear from her a whole lot. And I said, well, this is unusual. And I felt hurt. And then I find out that that was the day she relinquished the baby. So in the midst of it, she was also busy, you know, yeah, taking care of what she needed to take care of. And that was also not emotionally easy for her. So, yeah. So many different dynamics going yeah. on. Um, so this is all like an incredibly traumatic and emotional story. And it's why you are so anti-surrogacy crusading against it. <laughs> no, I mean, it's almost amazing that you're not right. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not. Um, on the contrary, I fully believe it. You know, when, when I share this story with, with others, um, the, one of the first questions is, do you have any regrets? And my answer is always no. Here's the deal. I, I know why I did it. And I know where my heart and my intentions were. And that is exactly what I was able to accomplish. Now, the outcome, no one ever has any control. And that's something that a surrogate needs to know, that at the end of the day, these are their babies. Um, no one expects for them to be given away, you know, or like who knows in whose hands they end up. So I do have opinions and some which I shared with the agency on how I think that there does need to be um, a higher level, whether that's standards or questions, improvements, right, in the whole process. Because surrogates, we get put through the ringer, um, but it's not necessarily the case for IPs. 
And so I do think that there needs to be an improvement on that count. But as far as my own experience, no regrets. Um, sadness, until this day, I still feel sad about the whole situation. But what has helped that healing process is actually getting to see the babies thereafter. I have met the adoptive parents and they are awesome. Dang, Love them. Good. They have um, welcomed me to continue communicating with them. And actually, it was amazing. The day that the legal adoption went through, they texted me, they sent me a picture, they thanked me, all of which I said, actually, you know, I, I don't need a thank you. And that day I was a, a mixture of emotions. I was humbled. I was grateful. Um, I was proud. And I know that he's got amazing parents and is living an amazing life. And so twice um, since then, I have seen them. The first time it was around uh, right before Christmas, I met with them. I went solo. My mom wanted to come with me. The agency said, you know, can we can we have somebody go with you? I said, no, I, I need to do this by myself. And so um, we all had lunch. I met the, the adoptive parents. It was the first time I saw the babies together after the hospital. So it was like all these things happening. Um, and then I saw them last month because, as I've shared with you, I'm now living in the Middle East. Um, and so I'm on the other side of the world. And we all had an opportunity to meet and uh, kind of say our farewells. And so uh, who knows when the next time I'd, I'd see them, at the very least. I know that if I did yeah, see them in right. future, they're going to be walking, running, you know? Right. Very different. And, yeah. And, and if, very, very different. And if things change, you know, over time, because that's always a possibility, things can die down. It, it happens to many other stories and many other families. Um, that's okay. But I feel I have taken the right approach in terms of um, wanting to meet everyone and see them thereafter, because that was a big question. And the one thing that the director of psychology of my agency, even though I was very upset at the beginning, um, she did share something very valuable with me and said, don't deny yourself that opportunity. After you meet everyone, after you do all that, then you can determine if you want to continue a relationship or not. Because if you don't, you might be left wondering, you know, should have I, what would it be like? And you might still harbor all of those feelings. And so um, I spent the next couple of months between physical therapy and yeah. um, psychological therapy. I did see a therapist for, for yeah, some time yeah. just to kind of like process through everything. Um, and I've had the very open, candid conversations with my intended mother, you know, about it all. But I completed my mission. I am grateful for it. I'm grateful to her, even if I am um, in disagreement with the decisions made. But I know that everyone is happy. Everyone is is healthy. And, um, you know, that's that's all I could ask for. I'm just grateful to have been part yes. of that. Yes. Tell us about your book and your upcoming book. I know. And so you took that energy though, and you poured it into a few other projects. So you, you kind of have alluded to, you've alluded to one of yes. them at least. Yeah. Yes, sorry. I know that this is like, thank you. I know. I'm sorry. This is, this is uh, quite long, no, but great. yes, you know, one of, one of the things uh, throughout the journey that I started doing was journaling to my intended mother. And I, I did that with both my children. And so 
I wanted to gift this to her at the end. But the downside is if you go out to the market, you go to Barnes and Nobles or anywhere else, all the journals are basically, you know, traditional pregnancy. It's your own baby. Or you have to do what I did. And I bought blank journals, but I had to buy two. And so I would start writing in one and then copy the same thing on the other because I wanted a copy for myself. And this got the wheels turning. And I'm like, I got to create something. I have to create something that's going to put out two copies in one journal. And this could be a great gift. So I am in the process of creating this awesome journal. And then more things started happening for me. Um, Inspired by my IM, she always said to me, there aren't enough resources for IPs. A lot of things are surrogate-based. How do I explain to my oldest child? How would I explain to the kids later on? And so I remember explaining to my children through the books and through everything else. And so I took it upon myself to write the children's book, The Sorrow Fairy. And the narrative is both for surrogates and IPs to share with their children. However, IPs were at top of mind for me, and it basically explains the process. It is also the first book, to my knowledge, because I have read a couple of the children's surrogacy books that showcases same-sex parents. Um, And I think that that's important because that is a large demographic in surrogacy altogether. And after our conversations, um, she has agreed now that everything is out in the open that I could fully tell my story. And so I have been writing um, my entire journey, you know, from childhood, kind of how we started today's chat, what led me to it, what happened and how it's been up until literally last month when I last saw them. And so I'm in the editing phase and excited and hopeful that it will all be out. Is there an expected timeline of when they'll be out? Yes. So The Sorrow Fairy, the children's book is already out on our website, sorrowfairy.com. And we'll link to that Also on Amazon. Yeah, we'll link to it as well. Awesome. Thank you. And my expected timeline for the big book that I call uh, should be out before end of year. That is absolutely my goal. I've just spent this last month kind of settling into my new home. But as soon as the kids start school here, I'm going to go, you know, full force because I have bigger plans for the brand. It's not just um, getting Soros stories, which is something that I am doing. Definitely giving a call out to IPs to share more of their journeys. But my intention is to connect with doulas, uh, medical professionals, agencies that really, you know, and, and attorneys who have been a significant part of um, well, you should listen to the, the episodes yeah. of our podcast because we have all of them. Right. <laughs> Absolutely. My goal is to create um, this space because there are so many websites, a lot of agencies, like everyone has kind of like their own thing, but I want to remain pretty neutral, right? I don't, I don't work for anyone in particular or have anything to gain for that, but more than just providing the resources um, for anyone and, and a couple of specific products. Um, Later this month, a a specific water bottle called Fairy Water Water Bottle. Everything will kind of have that that sentiment that has a pill organizer in it. And I did also create a medical, a travel medical kit for um, all the meds, injections, pills, all of that. Very smart. I do have the samples with me. They will be released in the next couple of weeks out 
for a shop. And so it goes back to just making life easier, having the heart and that special magical touch um, so that journeys aren't so transactional. So they aren't just so dry, which sometimes they can be um, just because it's the nature of, of what we're dealing with. Right. Right. So stay tuned. Yeah, there's there's so much. That is impressive. And we will definitely stay tuned and please update us as your next book comes out, as your products come out, we'd be happy to to get that word out to our listeners as well, who I'm sure will be excited to, to follow you and everything you're doing. Thank you. It's been awesome being here with you ladies today. Thank you for the extended time. Um, I know this is, this is going to be amazing um, for anyone that it touches. And I'd love to just continue to be of support to, the community at large. You touched me. Uh, you touched me. I'm cold and dead inside and I cried. So <laughs> thank you so much for uh, being here I'm, with us. I really <laughs> appreciate you sharing. I'm all of it. Thank you so, so much. I, I think we're both so at a loss for words after this. M- Michelle's journey was <laughs> so unbelievable. And I will say just like the grace that she has handled everything with, uh, has been uh, I think more than more than the story just like how she has handled it and how much grace and how kind she has been even in the face of things that are pretty horrific uh, has is really truly inspiring and I'm just really amazed even noted in the interview that this experience didn't make her think negative things about surrogacy and in fact has turned her to be more supportive and, you know, help provide resources to those who want to do this and support them throughout that. Yeah, no. And definitely we want to encourage people go, go check out her book. And I believe she has another book coming out very soon. She does. Yes. Yes. So uh, we will link to that eventually when we get to that point or when she's got it ready to go. But until then, you know, we, we have to thank our crack team that does all of that linking and all of those great things for us. Uh, thank you, as always, to Chris at Work at Bird Studios, uh, to Lexi, Amanda, Ashley, Tyler, everybody on our team that makes us sound awesome and uh, really important to us. And, and we're really thankful to have them with us. So thanks so much. Talk to everybody soon. Bye.